Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Yes, it is. I guess it's Thursday. Must be Thursday afternoon. It doesn't feel like the last few Thursday afternoons have felt because uh, we've just come out of this whole long spate of yomtivs without radio on a Thursday afternoon, or on a Thursday for that matter, or on a Friday. It's just been these three-day affairs. So back in the seat, back with you. And I certainly hope that you had a really, really special yontav. You know, once you've taken off that amount of time from work and you've eaten that quantity of food and you've sat that many hours in shul, hopefully the net result was uplifting, meaningful, inspiring, and most importantly, that we accessed all the potential blessings that we could get ourselves for the coming year. So now welcome back to, I suppose, what we could call reality. Tonight is Rosh Chodesh. It's the beginning of the new month, the month of Cheshvan. It is a month that is empty of all these festivities. There's no big yontavs on the horizon for at least four weeks. You can get some work done now without interruption. Some people are excited about that. Not in the rabbinic field, obviously, because we've been working flat out for the last month or longer. But for everybody else, people are talking about the fact that it's the first normal week that we've had in at least five. So it's an important time of the year. It's an opportunity to translate, to translate what we've learned, what we've experienced, what inspired us into practicalities. So let's kick it off to a good start. I suppose this is, in a sense, the first real show of 5778 that we're having together. You're on Fresh Thinking, and uh, we're together until 3 o'clock, please, God, with Rabbi Ari Shishler. And I'd like you to be part of the conversation. You're invited. You're always invited to be part of the conversation. A whole bunch of ways that you can do that. You can SMS 34519. You can WhatsApp 0621482374. You can tweet at Chai FM or tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. And let's have a conversation. And one of the things that crossed my mind, and I see Rabbi Kievman in the previous show touched on this quite briefly, but something that crossed my mind was this, uh, this concept of, you know, there's all kinds of scandal that's flying around. You open up any media source, any news source today, and it's just one scandal after the next. If it's not a corruption scandal, it's a molestation scandal. And if it's not that, then there's uh, gifts for friends or jobs for friends or or this country threatening that country. And there's quite a lot of scandal about it. And you almost get the impression that we're living in a world where people have lost direction where leadership has lost direction, where leaders are not necessarily suited to be leaders, where institutions are not necessarily representative of what they should represent. And generally speaking, there's some kind of decay that seems to occur across the board, a decay of values, a decay of morals, a decay of integrity, of honesty, just seems to be right across the board. Whether it be a person breaking a traffic law or trying to, to bribe a police officer all the way through to people who are milking governments or state capture or, uh, Hollywood. I mean, just the stuff that is going on at the moment. And so the question that that raises or one of, I mean, there, there are obviously many questions and many concerns that that raises. But one of the questions is if you live in an environment where you look around and it looks like lots of people are breaking the law. Um, is it acceptable for a person to say, well, 
I, I think I'm still a good person because I don't do what they do. So just to use as an example, I think it's fairly common over here in Joburg, perhaps in other places as well. But here's a common example. So we're living against the backdrop of all kinds of accusations flying against the president of the country, against high-level ministers, big deal level layers of, of corruption. That's the backdrop that we're living against. So is it really so bad if I skip a red light? Is, you know, you know, in context, I mean, you know, people are doing really ugly things out there. I, mean, I, I looked left and right. I made sure that there was no threat to myself or anybody else. So I, you know, I went over the speed limit or, uh, I uh, drove in the emergency lane. Now, of course, you get two kinds of drivers. I believe you get two kinds of drivers in Joburg. Drivers who drive in the emergency lane and drivers who have high blood pressure because there are other drivers who drive in the emergency lane. So you can, I think people justify to themselves and say, well, in context, it's not like I'm killing anybody. It's not like I'm stealing. It's not like I'm involved in corruption. It's just a little thing over here. You know, so perhaps I won't uh, declare all my assets and, and I'll, I'll shortchange the revenue service. After all, where's that tax money going? It's lining other people's pockets. Or uh, perhaps a person will say, you know, look, I'm not the most religious person out there and I don't necessarily observe as much as my my from cousins or as much as my rabbi would want me to, but at least I'm not doing X and Y. At least I have a stable family. A you know, person will say, uh, so many people today are engaged in extramarital affairs and I have a stable family. Is that good enough? So I, I think the question that it raises, and it's, a, it's an interesting question living in the world that we do today, is can we... Can we judge ourselves and our moral standing or our levels of integrity or our commitment to values based on a relative scale? So, in other words, by comparing ourselves to other people, is it acceptable for a person to say, well, in context of who I live with, in context of the society today, in context of the breaking news stories that just keep coming at us fast and furious, I think I'm actually doing pretty well. Is that a... Is that a, a decent, is that a fair, is that an objective, is that a meaningful way to assess ourselves? And it is important to assess ourselves always. I know we've just come out of the holiday period and pre-Rosh Hashanah there's a lot of introspection and obviously over the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur period there's a lot of introspection. And then for many of us we put it behind us and we get back to work and we clock up all the things that will be introspective about again next year. The truth of the matter is we should be introspective on a daily basis. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spend your whole day, every day, being introspective. But, you know, at some point in the day, just reflect for a moment. Or in a particular situation, just to look in the mirror and say, now the way I'm behaving in this particular situation, I know how I would like to behave. I know what I would like to do. And then you have to ask yourself, we all have to ask ourselves this question. Well, if I'm honest... Is this appropriate? If I'm honest, can I really justify this? And I think in that context, when we're looking at ourselves and, and doing some kind of introspection, which we should do on a regular basis, if not all the time, is it ever acceptable for a person to turn around and say, well, everybody around me is way worse off than I am. So at least I'm keeping the basics. I think that's a conversation you often hear in the Jewish community. People say, well, at least I'm keeping the basics. Maybe I'm not as dedicated to my Judaism as I would like to be, should be, I'm expected to be. But at least I'm keeping the basics. I'm not like those Jews who live in that community, which may be overseas, who observe nothing, who don't go to shul on a, on a Friday night. I mean, there's so many layers of where this could apply. So it's in its broadest sense, 
It would apply to things like honesty and integrity and morals, where you, it's so easy to look around and say, there's just moral depravity all over the place and, and I'm so much better, all the way to something that's a lot more specific, which is about your individual Jewish connection. And there also, it could be tempting for a person to say, well, it's me compared to. So is that ever an acceptable position? And the reason that this thought crossed my mind, and that's why I say Rabbi Kiedman alluded to it earlier in the previous show, is because we're about to read a story in the Torah, this Shabbos, and it's a story of Noah. Noah is a hero, but he's a hero in context. Noah is a hero because he was the best of the people who were alive at that time. I don't want to say he's the best of a bad bunch because you can't say that Noah was a bad person, but the Torah does indicate that he was righteous in his generation. That seems to imply that had you put Noah in a different generation, perhaps he might not have rated as righteous. In fact, it's a debate in the Talmudic commentary. It's a debate whether this is complimentary or derogatory about uh, about, Noah, about Noah, the fact that he's righteous in his generation. So we're going to go with a perspective that it's, it's derogatory. It's saying relative to the people he lived with, relative to the immorality of that society, Noah was considered a righteous person. And therefore, he's the one who was selected by God to be saved, him and his family, and to become the custodian of really the future of existence, taking all the animals onto the ark. And everybody knows the story. But surely that should raise an eyebrow because how is it good enough that we'll choose a particular person to become the hero of a story Possibly the most widely shared biblical story. They say even outside of the Abrahamic religions, pretty much every ancient culture has a flood legend. So it's a big story. It's a story that's right across the board in so many different cultures. And the one person who is the representative of that story is described in the Torah as being relatively moral or relatively righteous or pious, that might be a better way to say it, in his generation, contextually, he was a righteous person. And my question is, is that really good enough? Surely, surely a person is either a righteous person or they're not. person either has integrity or they don't. person is either moral or not moral. And And how could it be useful or how could it be healthy to peg your own morality or integrity on the lack thereof in the society around you. Seems to be something which people do a lot, and perhaps this is a way that people were justified and say, well, look, God himself did it. He picked Noah out, not because he was the best of the best, but because he was the best relative to that generation. So what do you think about that? What do you think about this idea of establishing a credibility for yourself that's based on the failure of others versus a credibility of yourself that's based on your credibility. 34519, if you'd like to comment by SMS, by WhatsApp, you can send a message on 0621482374. Otherwise, you can tweet at FM or tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so... There's a conversation that uh, we can all um, hopefully relate to and hopefully think about. So my question is, there is an expression, there's an expression in the Torah talking about one of the most famous people that ever lived, where he is described as tzaddik b'doy that he was righteous or pious 
in his generation sounds like it's all relative. Sounds like Noah was considered to be a righteous man, not because he was fundamentally righteous, but because it was uh, a bad time and people were quite immoral and relative to the people who were there at the time, Noah was, so to speak, the best of the bunch. So my question to you was, do you think that's acceptable? Do you think that that's a way that we should measure ourselves? Do you think that that is a, a good means of determining the value, the integrity, the morality of a person? Just to say, listen, I'm better than everybody else. Is that, is that acceptable? Uh, <laughs> I suppose in other areas of life, we'd know the answer immediately, right? So for example, if a person was in a situation where they, let's say that you were at school and, and everybody around you didn't pay attention at school, it wouldn't necessarily be a justifiable position to say, well, at least I passed. Everybody else failed, but I passed. That's great and wonderful if you're comparing yourself to everybody else. It's not going to be so wonderful when you try and show your marks to the university you're trying to get into. And they say, well, you you, you got 52%. You say, yeah, but I was the only one in my class who passed. It's not necessarily going to to wash. But this is a different story because this, I don't know, is there is there an objective measure of integrity is there an objective measure of values of morals so oh there you go so straight away somebody's made the comment over here um what is good and what is bad so maybe that's part of our problem maybe part of our problem is that we're too scared to say things as they are i seem to recall and i could be wrong about this i seem to recall that after the shooting in las vegas that president trump made a comment that the shooting was evil and i think people got if i remember correctly people got all those out of joints about it he wasn't making a comment about the person he was making a comment about the action and people were like how can you judge and maybe he was mentally ill and 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 da 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 but the the reality is that you you should be able to say that a particular kind of action is an evil action if the person who landed up performing that action may have mitigating circumstances that changes the view we have of the person but it can never surely can never be described in any other way. Shooting a whole group of people has to be constituted as something evil. Must be, surely. Must be black and white. So perhaps part of the problem that we have in these kinds of conversations is is using definitions without fear and being able to say that there is such a thing as moral absolutes, that there is such a thing as true integrity. And it's it's not just simply about the fact that, well, it depends what you call because I think that's often what we do, right? It depends on what you call moral. In a society where there is rife theft or murder or a corrupt government, relative to that, jaywalking is not even a crime. So that may be factually the case. In other words, nobody's really going to be arrested for jaywalking or prosecuted. But that doesn't necessarily mean that from a value system or from, from a perspective of integrity or from a perspective of morality that you are necessarily correct. And that's why I think it's an important conversation to have. Is it good enough for a person to say, I'm a good person because I'm better than the majority, because I'm better than the average? Is that acceptable? Or are you a good person because you're a good person? Meaning to say there is an objective measure of good. When I say objective measure, I don't mean that it's like a list and you've got to tick a whole lot of boxes. Needless to say, people will express goodness in varying ways. And we don't expect everybody to be a clone of everybody else. Nevertheless, surely, I don't know, surely, this is my view. 
surely there is a way that you can say this is this is good. This is a person who is good. And it's not just because everybody else around them creates contrast. It's because they are good. This is integrity, not because nobody else has integrity. I'll tell you, you know, you know, where you, where you see that a lot. I mean, it's, it's a, what we call in Yiddish a bitter gelechter, which means a bitter joke. It's, it's something which is, it's funny, but it's really not funny. You speak to people, and it happens a lot in, in, in our country. You speak to people who are victims of crime. And, you know, everybody commiserates and sits around. It's so terrible this happened to you and you had to be the victim of crime and whatever. But a lot of times what happens in the conversation is people will say things like, well, the perpetrators were respectful. They spoke nicely. They were not aggressive. So as if to say there's a higher class criminal. <laughs> you know, crime is crime, surely. Surely, and we're not talking up here about the socioeconomic reasons behind crime, but just looking at it purely from a clinical objective point of view, a crime either is a crime or it's not a crime. If the person smiles while he's robbing you, it doesn't make it less of a robbery than if the guy scowls at you when he robs you, right? Surely. So surely there have to be certain things that are, that are black and white, that either you're a good person, you're not a good person, a pious person, you're not a, a pious person. And there may be degrees you might say that a person is more good, less good, more pious, less pious, yes, that you could say. But, I, I, I just wonder when we start thinking along these lines of, well, compared to everybody else, I'm okay, that that could, could spiral into a situation where a person is uh, very quick to rationalize and justify all kinds of bad behavior. But I'd love to hear what you think about that. Uh, <clears throat> here is an SMS from Melinda that says, ultimately, every wrong is wrong, even if you're only accountable to yourself Leaving, however, leaving it up to the individual to find their own moral compass is tricky. Yes, I definitely agree with that second part, that if you leave it up to individuals to find their own moral compass, who knows where that's going to land up. And that's actually going to lead me to to a, a thought that I had on this particular topic. So Melinda is saying wrong is wrong, and even if you're only accountable to yourself, there have to be clear boundaries or clear, uh, clear definitions of – Wrong is wrong and right is right. So, okay. So, so let's, let's work with that one. But the moral compass, you see, if you live in a society, for example, where it has become acceptable to behave in a certain way that is not truly moral, but now it's become acceptable, then moral compass becomes a really, really tricky issue. And that's part of what Noah had to deal with. If we're going to use Noah as the personality that we're referring to. So he lived in a society where it became completely acceptable within the society that you robbed people. It was just, that was how it is. It was completely normal. And to scale it down, it's it's like, I think a lot of people tell you, it's become completely normal to disobey traffic rules in, in Joburg. I'm not saying it should be that way, but it seems that way often. So is this now, has the moral compass shifted? Is this now considered acceptable? <laughs> That's the problem when you start to have an individual moral compass. If you don't have some kind of an absolute value that you're trying to compare yourself to, well, then you're going to land up with shifting goalposts. And you can land up, I mean, I often think about it, you know, what, what, had this incredible, incredible thought over the course of the, the Yontif period. Incredible thought. Um, the first Torah portion that we read is the story of the tree of knowledge, right? And everybody knows, I'm saying the first Torah portion after the creation, the first story of human beings is the story of the tree of knowledge. 
and it, it just boggles the mind. The whole story boggles the mind. What was so misguided about Adam and Eve in their approach to the tree of knowledge? I mean, what, what's the big deal? Why didn't they just eat other fruits? Why were they so compelled? And, 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 and why, why was it an issue? What did God have against them eating this tree that would give them knowledge? Is, is knowledge a bad thing? Is it, is it something that if you're trying to control people, you don't want them to have knowledge? So that was just a thought that crossed my mind. I'd like to share something with you about that in just a moment. But meanwhile, I'd like to hear your thoughts on 34519 or via WhatsApp on 0621482374 or on Twitter, as some of you have sent through. And I will share those messages shortly at Chai or at Ravashish. Question over here today is, is it sufficient to say I'm better than the rest? And therefore I'm a good person or are you a good person because you're a good person and it's not a relative state to be in. Love to hear your thoughts. In the meantime, gold capital, what a double whammy gold capital is offering. When you sell gold capital, your gold diamonds or watch worth 2000 rand or more, you'll get a free entry into their lucky draw, which happens the following Tuesday. So for the next month, gold capital will give the lucky draw winner a quarter Kruger rand, which is worth 5,000 rand. The gold price is high at the moment. So sell your gold, diamonds, or watches to Gold Capital. And if there are three or more entries into the lucky draw, the winner gets a quarter Kruger Rand. Call Gold Capital today on 011-447-4522. And you could be the winner on Tuesday. If you have just joined us, it's halfway through Fresh Thinking Time. You're with Rabbi Shishla talking today about this concept of what is the way that you work out if you're a good person. Is it or a moral person or that you have integrity or any of the other positive accolades that you'd want to associate with a person? Is it good enough for a person to say, well, Compared to everybody I live with, compared to the society I live in, I think I'm doing pretty well. Is that a good enough way to assess yourself? And I'm going to share something about the um, about the tree of knowledge in just a moment. But I uh, just want to share Jonathan's tweet over here. It says, this feels very theory of relativity-ish. That's a, quite a Jewish way of speaking, right? Theory of relativity-ish. Well, that's exactly my question. Is there relativity? Is there scope for relativity when it comes to morals, when it comes to goodness, when it comes to integrity? And therefore, if there is some theory of relativity, then you can always say, compared to I'm doing well, or uh, is it something completely unrelated? And you have to have clear definitions of what is considered good, what is considered integrity, what is considered morality. So coming back to the story of the tree of knowledge, um, just a thought that crossed my mind, and I think it's really, really important in this conversation. So picture the scene. Adam and Eve have just been created, and there they are. Just imagine what that must have felt like for them. Imagine, try compare it to where you go somewhere and you've never been there before, and you're completely overawed by the beauty of the place so you just stand there and you look around or you arrive at a location let's say you go on holiday and you come to a resort and the resort offers so many different things that you could do you could go parasailing scuba diving there's a show in the evening there's balloons hot air balloons there's there's dining experiences and you stand there kind of marveling at all the opportunities and then of course you've got to pick one to start with 
Maybe you'll get to the rest of them in time, but you've got to start somewhere. So multiply that exponentially and you get Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They look around and they, I mean, they've never tasted a fruit in their lives. Right? They, they don't even know what to expect. And the instruction they get from God is, you may eat from any tree in the garden. Anything you want. Just not this one. Not the tree of knowledge. And like I say, there's, there's two questions that immediately spring to mind. A, why did that become their compulsion? Yes, I know that human psychology, forbidden fruit, and of course that's where the cliche comes from, that if you tell me I can't have it, then I become much more motivated to want to have it. Get that. But a little bit of self-control. Why, why don't you just try the, the peaches? They might be in season. Why does it have to be that you beeline for that forbidden tree? And then, of course, the bigger question is, why does God have an issue with Adam and Eve gaining knowledge? Why? Surely that's the goal. Surely that's the purpose, considering that a few generations later, God gave the Torah, which is the greatest portal of knowledge, not just knowledge in, in human terms, but knowledge in divine terms. And that was to be spread and taught and learnt. So what, what's the issue over here with, with knowledge? And I saw a fascinating insight that there are two totally different ways that you can approach knowledge. And I think that this feeds directly into our conversation today around moral relativism versus moral absolutes. So there are two ways that you can approach knowledge. The one way that you approach knowledge is to gain knowledge. So it's, it's like eating. Funny, right? You wouldn't expect a tree to be associated with knowledge. You wouldn't expect a fruit to be associated with knowledge. You would have thought it would be the book of knowledge. So go out and enjoy the garden, but don't read the book of knowledge. Don't you think that would have been a stronger metaphor? Or it's a library filled with all kinds of things. Read the books on whatever, but don't read the book of knowledge, capital K. This, that knowledge that the snake told them, if you learn the stuff, you'll become like God and you'll know the difference between good and evil. What's the hesitation about people having knowledge? Because there's two ways that you can access knowledge. The first is, it's like a fruit. Why do you eat a fruit? So that you can enjoy it. It's there for your benefit. Nobody eats a fruit to make somebody else feel better. I shouldn't say nobody. I mean, if it's a Jewish mother who's offering you the fruit, you're going to eat the fruit to make her feel better. But generally speaking, why does a person eat something which is sweet and enjoyable and palatable? It makes me feel good. So that's one approach to knowledge. Why do I gain knowledge? For me, so I could be smarter, so I could have the competitive edge in the business world, so I could understand life, so I could have that intellectual satisfaction, whatever the particular motivation is, it's for me. Then there's another way to engage with knowledge, and that is to discover a tool, to discover a world that allows you to escape yourself. So knowledge that allows you, for example, to improve on the world. To make the world better for other people. To use your knowledge to improve medical care. To use your knowledge to improve education. To use your knowledge to make life more efficient. Whatever it is. Ultimately, in a spiritual sense, to use your knowledge to make the world a place of higher meaning. So God tells them right at the beginning, he says, don't eat the tree of knowledge. Don't ever approach knowledge with the with a goal of filling yourself. There have been so many societies in history 
that did just that. Look at the incredible knowledge, the philosophical depth of ancient Greece matched with a pretty hedonistic lifestyle. Look at the incredible cultural heritage and academic brilliance of the German nation just prior to the most savage genocide of our people's history. Knowledge could, in the wrong hands or with the wrong approach, could actually be one of the most devastating tools that a person could ever have. So approach knowledge with caution. Approach knowledge with a with a view to use it as a tool for betterment rather than just simply a tool for self, whether that be self-satisfaction, self-development. And I think that that goes straight into, the, into Jonathan's comment earlier about this theory of relativity or Melinda's comment about if you leave it up to the individual to find their own moral compass, that's going to be tricky. Absolutely it will be tricky because the capacity for a human being to blur reality with their own subjectivity is immense. And the way that people will go about, so to speak, pursuing knowledge or pursuing a moral compass but not recognizing the fact that it's actually self-serving is, is frightening. So it is, it is important to have some kind of objectivity. And therefore, I think that if a person's going to say, I'm, I'm good or I'm holy or I'm pious or I'm, uh, honest compared to others, that becomes really dangerous territory compared to others. Well, what if the others go so off the, off the, 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 the tracks and become so immoral that, that to be better than them doesn't take much at all? Then we've got a problem. Then we've got a problem. So I suppose that that then raises the question. I mean, that's my view. You might have a different view, but that raises the question. Then why on earth would the Torah then speak of Noah, the great hero of the flood? Specifically in terms of he was righteous in comparison to his generation. Is that not dangerous? Does that not give us license to believe that it's okay to be a good person only relative to those around you? So I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about that on 34519 via SMS or 0621482374 on WhatsApp or uh, join some of the tweets. At, uh, you can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabashish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so that's how these things work. They always start to get interesting um, more than halfway through the show. My question is, is it okay for a person to consider themselves to be a person of integrity, a person of goodness, a person of morality only in comparison to others? Or do you have to have some kind of absolute standard? Uh, Jonathan's saying, yeah, I don't believe we live in a world of absolutes. There are many shades of gray. Well, there's a, there's a nice uh, little cliche for us. Uh, some are tolerable and others less so. So to answer the question, there probably is a benchmark, but not an absolute one. Different people will have different benchmarks. And that's, that's where I get stuck. That's where I get stuck. Because <laughs> different people have different benchmarks to me leaves it wide open. What happens if you live in a society where the benchmark is that the most important thing in the society is how you treat animals? Humans, on the other hand, if they're not part of your nation, if they're migrant or refugee populations, don't deserve to be treated properly. 
Now, is that acceptable? Is it acceptable if it's the majority thinking? I mean, that's, that's exactly how Nazi Germany was. They had stronger legislation against the treatment, the mistreatment of animals than they had of the mistreatment of minorities. And of course we know where that went and we landed up, that landed up in death camps. So can you really have different standards for different people? Morality? I think it's dangerous. I really do. Here's an interesting insight from a guy called Bill, uh, because I'm referring this, uh, referencing this around um, the story of Noah, that the Torah says that Noah was righteous in his generation. And the commentary on that is that he was righteous relative to his generation. So Bill says, interesting, he says, I don't think it's that he was, uh, sorry, he says, I think it means that Noah was considered righteous while he was alive and did not have to wait until he was dead for his righteousness to be recognized. Now that's an interesting, it's a little bit off topic, but it is an interesting insight because that is, that's a, a, a quite a thing. Very, very often what you find is that people during their lifetime are overlooked. Yet when they pass away, suddenly the stories come out. What an amazing person this person was, what they achieved, how kind the people they touched, etc., etc. So Bill is saying that uh, it's not to compare Noah to his generation as much as to say that while he lived within that generation, people were able to acknowledge and to celebrate his righteousness. It's a great point. It's an interesting point. Uh, it's not necessarily to our point, but still, it's an interesting insight. I think one of, one of the things that emerges from that story is uh, there essentially are two scenarios that a person can live in and then different reactions in those two scenarios. So the one scenario is you can live in a very healthy society. And if you live in that healthy society, then basically the society encourages you to be a good person. It encourages you to have integrity and it encourages you to be moral. And in a certain regard, it's easy to live well in that kind of society because the society holds you, the society carries you. So I'm sure there were two periods in history and I'm sure there must be places on earth still today where that's the case, where it's just popular to be good. Then there's another scenario, and that's where you live in a society where they've lost their way and, and, and things which should not be tolerated are tolerated and possibly even celebrated, right? Possible. So the question is, in that environment where you live in a society that's gone off the rails, you really have a number of choices of how to respond. And maybe that's this message about being righteous relative to the generation. One way that people respond is to say, as long as I can keep ahead of the average, then I'm doing well. It's like that old joke about the guy and his friend who are in the forest and the bear starts chasing them. And he, the friend says, uh, you know, why you, why you, how does it go? You're taking off your shoes or something like that. He says, listen, I don't have to outrun the bear. I only have to outrun you. So there's that kind of perspective. You know, I don't have to be righteous. I just have to be more righteous than the average. I have to have more honesty than the average. Well, that's one response that a person can have. Then there's a totally different response. And I think this is really where the Torah would like us to be thinking. And that is to say it's difficult to keep your moral compass focused in a time where that's not popular. And we tend to often think that we live in a time that is so unique and it's never happened before. Read history. And you'll see that there were so many societies throughout history where morality was not popular, where integrity was not popular, where, I mean, even in Jew Jewish society, Jewish history, look at the Jewish prophets who were murdered by the people who they were sent to inspire and were sent to guide because 
the society did not find it popular. They didn't want to hear these words about repentance and connection to God and morality and honesty and so on and so forth. So it's not easy. We have to acknowledge that to be able to keep your moral compass in a society that is not interested in morality is incredibly difficult. To have the gumption to stand up and to say that things are wrong when the whole society says they're right and should be celebrated, that's not easy. And if you read the story of Noah, that's what he had to do. It wasn't just simply that he was righteous compared to a bad bunch of people, one of the worst periods in the whole of human history. He stood up, stood up. And said, I'm not going to be like you. I'm not going to educate my children in the way that you educate your children. I'm not going to compromise my values set just because you tell me that it's not popular. Just because the trends, I mean, they didn't have media, of course, in those days. They didn't have glossy magazines in those days. They didn't have Hollywood in those days. I suppose at best they had the Bushman's Telegraph to get their message around. But the fact of the matter is that prevailing attitudes were not aligned to Noah's lifestyle. Noah was the person who became the icon of morality till today. We talk about the Noahide code. We talk about the seven cardinal principles that all of humanity should follow. And we ascribe them to that man, to Noah. Not just because he was a little better than everybody else, but because he stood up to what he, not what he believed, because that's dangerous, to what he had been told by God. This is the moral system. And he stuck with it. And he did as he was instructed as he believed rather than what was popular. And that's, that's quite a thing to be able to say I'm moral in spite of what's going on around me. That's already a positive statement, not more moral than I'm moral with a capital M. I still keep good old fashioned values that are completely unpopular in today's world. Well, it's not a popularity contest. Integrity is not a question of how many likes you'll get on Facebook for it. Goodness is not about just being nicer than a bunch of nasty people. Goodness is goodness. Integrity is integrity. And being able to hang on to those things in a whirlwind of animosity towards them, that's greatness. That's why Noah is a hero. Because he holds on to his values when everybody else is ditching values left, right, and center. So I don't think it's really good enough to say I'm better than a bad bunch. A person should have integrity because they have integrity. Uh, here's a WhatsApp from Stephen who says, The problem today is that the good person is pushed aside. Goodness is taken as a sign of weakness. And a bad person, he says evil person, is more respected. And I think that that's exactly the point. It's fascinating because the Talmud almost 2,000 years ago predicted that in the era just before Mashiach comes, the people who will be hated in society will be the people who hold on to integrity and good old-fashioned values. So it is interesting that Stephen makes that observation that it's uh, it's no longer popular to be good and maybe to use a cliche, good people finish last But that doesn't mean that it's not what we should do. I mean, Abraham assumed, Abraham assumed a position of morality that was also completely unpopular. And look where that went and look what a difference it made to the world. Popular opinion is not what makes good people. And I think it's important that we remember that. Uh, Just a little off topic, but an SMS over here from, it says Charlo. So I don't know if that's Carlo, Charlo or Charlie. And it's a text, uh, um, 
mistake. But his question is, what was Noach's wife's name? Well, I'm going to put that out to the audience. Does anybody know what Noach's wife's name was? It was actually mentioned in the Torah reading last uh, last Shabbos. But anyhow, does anybody know what was Noach's wife's name? Three four five one nine to SMS the answer or WhatsApp oh six two one four eight two three seven four. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, there we go. There we go. So answers starting to come in. The first answer over here is from Jacob Gordon. And he says 12 on his SMS. I don't know if that means he's 12 years old, possibly. And he says, hi, kids. So Jacob Gordon answering that question, what was Noach's wife's name? And he answers correctly, Naama. Very good. Well done. You get to spend the rest of the day um, just bragging to everybody else about the fact that you are the top high kid today. So uh, there you go. Piece of information. That's what's nice about uh, our high FM audience. You can get information. You can find things out about your Judaism. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should um, have a day where we dedicate the show just to testing the knowledge of our listeners. How's about that? And find who is the Chochem of Chai FM land. How's about that? There's an idea. So wrapping up, because uh, the question, and there's, there's still quite a number of uh, messages coming through. Here's one from Delia who says, if the levels of comparison are so low, at least you're trying to be better than the average, but you should try to exceed that. Well, I think I think it's dangerous to just try to be better than the next best uh, when when people are not necessarily in a in a good space i think it's uh, it's important to have more than that like if if the society around us is a society that's lost its way then it's almost an invitation to say try harder to be a person of integrity try harder to be a good person if people are nasty and snobbish then you've got to stand out in the crowd that's what happened with noah he stood out in the crowd he wasn't just like everybody was 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 uh, drunk and he was just tipsy. You know what I mean? It was like everybody was drunk and he was sober and clear as a bell. It it, it was a it, you got to stand out. You got to stand out in the crowd. Tweet over here from non Noah at non Noah. I think it's important to be judged in context of your time. Perhaps being good amongst all bad is more challenging and a higher achievement. And I agree with that. It is definitely. Uh, when you, you want to talk about relativity, relativity is not a matter of, well, everybody else is bad and I'm a little bit good, so therefore I'm great. Relativity is if it's tough to be good, then if you're able to do it, that is one incredible achievement. And it's something for us to be mindful of all the time, but probably more so in today's world. In today's world, everybody has a platform. Anybody can put anything out there. It might gain traction. And before you know it, the most horrible things are popular. The most incredibly false arguments become the mainstream way of thinking. Terribly depraved behavior might become what is celebrated. I just heard the other day that there's an app, apparently the Facebook just bought, and it's, I forget what it's called, but it's basically about being nice to people, an app to encourage people to be nice to people. Can you imagine? That's the world we live in. You need an app to encourage you to be nice to people. Like, surely that's part of being a human being. So when you live in a society that's uh, parading all kinds of things that are not moral, and you are able nevertheless to stand up and stick to your guns, and remain a person of integrity, a person of morality, the value of that is phenomenal. And I think that that's the message of Noah. 
Noah became a hero because he kept absolute values in a world that had absolutely rejected values. Fantastic lesson that all of us can apply to ourselves. So there's something to think about. I want to wish you a good Shabbos and a fantastic week. Look forward, please God, to being with you on the airwaves this time next Thursday.